的重要责任跟人民去呈现出。Mr. Lee says it's the duty of a museum to display its most cherished artifacts in the best state possible for the public to see, and that it's a shame that his museum has long been unable to do this with the Kangxi Taiwan map because of the damage. Now, though, in this new exhibit, visitors can see the mysterious original and its descendants all at once, comparing, contrasting, and appreciating different versions of what may be Taiwan's most historically valuable map. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Today, my guest is Janet Chen. She likes to be known as Jen, and she's the creative director for films and projects,、uh, different projects in LA, Los Angeles. And she's here in Taiwan only because of the pandemic. So <laughs> she's been here since what was it?、Um, February. Couple, February. Okay,、yeah. and been stuck here, but actually for the better, right? For the better, yes. Right.、Um, so <laughs>、um, basically,、um, you were here visiting family, and you're here with your husband. And so you never thought that you would be spending so much time. In Taiwan, and yet you're finding a lot of good things about Taiwan, right? Yes, I love Taiwan. It's always been my motherland for the longest time.、Um, as a circulatory kid, I always travel around the world. So this is actually the longest time I've spent in Taiwan since、uh, I was a kid, and it's been great so far. Wow,、yeah. I think that's wonderful that、um, this opportunity came up so they can be here. I'm so surprised that you've been away for so long and never really spent, you know, a time in your home country until now. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway,、um, why don't we、uh, start with a little bit of background before we get to all the things that you're doing in life now? Because、uh. <laughs> it's kind of hard to just jump right into that without giving a little bit of background, I suppose. Yeah. But、uh, you were saying that actually、um, your dad was a diplomat. Correct. And, yes.、Um, and so, like right after you were born, you guys moved to the Netherlands. Yes. But ever since then, you've lived in the States, Indonesia, Moscow, and I don't know what other countries have you have lived in. But Hong right? Kong. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Hong Kong, of course. Yes, yeah. Yes, right. Yeah. Right.、Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, what was your major? What、um, did you I, study? I actually did fashion merchandising and business during college, and then.、Um, I had film and photography on the side as like a oh you did ho- habit yeah like a habit, and then、um, surprisingly for Susan connections I had a friend that helped me get into、um, in touch with American Institute of Film in the States, and that's when I started doing set photography for them and moved forward from there. So、uh, ever since I was young, I was always kind of in between film and. Design <laughs> for like the longest time, and then I did come back to Taiwan for actually about a year and work as a designer here too. Oh so, right, right, yeah, yeah,、uh, for a famous、uh, fashion designer here. Yes, yeah, 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 right. Yeah. But that's a very interesting combination: design and cinematography. Very, it has ex-、uh, exposed me to very different <laughs> <laughs> cultures. Right.、Uh, yeah, I, I definitely have seen a lot in my lifetime. 
so far uh, and tra have traveled a lot, like even though in my youth, but also like as a grown, like as I grow up, um, I travel a lot with my husband for film stuff. Like we've been to Turkey, we've been to Thailand, we also been to Patagonia and all that. Uh, I haven't been to New Zealand yet, although I hope to go very soon. Mm. Um, yeah, so these are places that we go from time to time. And when we go to a place, we don't just go for visiting. Sometimes we try to stay there for a few weeks or a few months if we can. Uh -huh. uh, and then we get to like assimilate into the culture and kind of learn who they are as people. And, you know, kind of find that common thing that connect human souls together as a whole. And make a documentary? <laughs> From time to time, yes. Um, mo mainly, it's more for environmental issues at the moment. Um, uh -huh. There's a few things that we're doing uh, just to, I guess, like raise awareness in terms of the climate change that's happening and then the natural resources we're losing. Was it because double majors are very common then? That's why you study, you know, I mean, what was it now? Design and cinematography. Or you have an interest in cinematography since you were little. I actually was completely self-taught. Both my dad and my grandfather are actually like photography enthusiasts. So my dad, when he was younger, he actually knew how to use all the Leica cameras. Uh, they developed film, you know, in dark rooms and everything. So ever since I was young, um, I've been exposed to art as a, when I was like three or four, I have pictures of me and my mom um, traveling around Europe just on film uh, mm. and they're like pretty nice photos too so yeah those yeah. are nice to keep you know as memory definitely oh, for sure for sure oh, yeah. yeah but it's oh, confusing yeah. too because you're like i don't know where i was <laughs> at the time so yeah now we're kind of like jumping way ahead because you already kind of touched on it about yeah. what you're doing with your husband yeah and um because you do a lot of things okay and the thing <laughs> is that right now and i had to ask you what exactly you want to talk about because you know, 30 minutes is not very long. Yes, yes, and of course. Yeah, but uh, you're doing a lot about awareness. Now, how does this whole thing start? I mean, what happened? Did something happen that made you become so aware of where you are about the environment and all that kind of stuff? I mean, or mm -hmm. did you grow up being like that because your parents are like that? Or I don't know. What, what oh, that's happened? That's a good question. Yeah. Um, so um, I actually, my family has a farm in Tainan ever since we were young. Um, so we get to visit from time to time. And during the time, I even though I was young, I was able to see like the, how an ecosystem works, you know, without pesticide, without, without um, human interference, and without like mass fa uh, factory farming. And um, ever since I was young, I was always like a lover of animals. And I think it wasn't until I became a filmmaker or slash creative director where I'm involved in projects and uh, sometimes for like organizations that are charity uh, to, for animal rescues and everything. That's when I really became aware, oh, like we're, we're doing something wrong in this world in general that um, we there there's there must be something we can do as humans to make the world a better place instead of like making all these animals suffer and then like also causing you know viruses to jump from animal to animal and spread it 
basically causing unnecessary pandemics, if that makes sense. Huh. It's yeah. interesting how you said、uh, talking about pandemics here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What a coincidence! Not, not pandemic, but you know, like yeah, you know, like climate I mean, change yes, and all that yeah, stuff. I think those、course. are very important for people to understand. That, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. Well, that、mm-hmm. was a big jump from how you were a kid and you have parents have a farm to making you aware of the environment. How did you? Happen to do these documentaries so that you made you became more aware of you know of the environment. Well, initially, I just became an activist.、Uh, so I go、ah. to protests. I go to like for the Yulin Festival protests. I've been to multiple ones in once when I was in Los Angeles to,、uh, to the Chinese legislation.、Um, unfortunately, it didn't really work out well for all of us.、Um, uh, there's a few like. Organizations that I donate to on a monthly basis that actually reveals like what happens, like you know, in、uh, in Africa, in China,、um, actually in Vietnam as well. There's a there's a few locations where、um, animal rights are not being protected, and then you get to see it.、Um, I have a few friends that are documentary makers, so. Um, in the film industry, like as artists, we're always curious about everything, right? So it's always like, oh, here, by the way, have you seen this? Let me show this to you. And then that's when I realize, oh, there's documentary on food waste. There's documentary on wildlife trade. And then like、um, everybody can do this too. Like they can watch BBC, the Planet Earth. You can see how the planet is de- deteriorating due to like human activities. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about BBC's Planet Earth. I mean, that's a great show. I love it. You know, it,、yeah. it's beautifully done.、Yeah. But、um, but you're right. It makes you more aware about you know the fact that the Earth is really beautiful and we should be preserving that. Yes. But、uh, what are we doing? You know, to do that. I'm I'm just curious. You know, this awareness in、mm. you、mm-hmm. um, has it changed your way of living? Has、oh, it changed、completely. your、yes. diet? Has it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What has changed? Uh, first What, of all,、yeah. we actually in my household we don't really use plastic or、uh, styrofoam anymore.、Mm-hmm. That's we've been doing that for about two years now. Okay.、Uh, we grow our own herbs at home. We have a client that's、um, very generous, and he actually he has his own business in like、uh, sustainable farming. So he always like he provide these kits to to schools and and homes where you can actually grow vegetables at home. And he also gave us. Gave us a hydroponic system、um, to build to learn how it works, like having a fish, having like a clam or something that filtration the system, and then you、uh, learn how to grow herbs on top of it and just harvest it as you go, and you never have to go to the grocery store again. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, so I've I've learned how to do that as well, just through、um, random connections here and there. Yeah. So,、um, have you stopped eating meat? I actually, I'm pretty proud to say that I, I would say I'm about ninety eight percent there, just because at the moment I'm in Taiwan and then there's just so many variety. I'm not here to condemn anyone that eats meat or、mm-hmm. uh, don't understand why meat is such a problem,、um, but it because it is part of a representation of every single cuisine in the world and like people like to show their culture and it's a way of showing affection for many people too. In Taiwan, for example, I only eat meat when my mom cooks because, you know, I out of respect. You, well, I yeah, I know. You don't want to insult her. Yeah, I, I don't want to get avoid, upset. Yeah, I don't. You know, like she made this chicken soup. I'll, I'll, I'll eat it. You know, I'll、uh-huh. drink the soup. But、uh-huh. that's like to the extent of how much I eat meat, I guess. 
You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. What about other things in life, you know, everyday life that you've changed because of your awareness? So we have electronic cars. That's one thing. Um, you you, oh, you own? Mean, we own, yeah, we have. Oh, electric- now, hey, that is. Yeah, yeah, back in the States. Yeah. yeah. So we, we have electronic cars. All we, right. we have zero emission for the last two or three years, mm-hmm. I would say. So mm-hmm. I, it's funny to say, I don't even know how to pump gas anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I know, um, I know. So that yeah. way it's like, I think in a way it's helping out with climate change. Um, sorry, that's diverting from like the meat um, issue. But um, on top of that, I guess through my own platform, how I've changed my life is I've also tried to use my social media, which is something I'm trying to get back into. Uh, just because I was working for so long, I didn't have time to keep up with it. Mm. But now that I do, I use it to raise awareness on how farm animals are treated, how uh, there's like poaching in Africa, how there's illegal wildlife trading all over Asia um, for like medicines or, you know, just for delicacy purposes. Mm-hmm. And that I think has dramatically changed my lifestyle in terms of who I am as a person, but also uh what I want to present to the world because we have the platform to do so. Uh, we can make films about it. Uh, we have the skill to like, you know, shoot and edit and present it to the world, uh, hopefully. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that has led me to a very nomadic lifestyle in a way where we get to travel around a lot mm-hmm. to shoot and then cooperate uh, co- cooperate with like scientists and other filmmakers that are also passionate about these things uh, yeah can you talk about one particular project that you were you guys were working on um so the most recent one that we're doing at the moment uh actually my husband was one that when he went to new zealand with two of his friends um uh, and they had to like fly helicopter and everything to like just film the glaciers mm. um that is something that we've been working uh we've been working on um for i think a, a, almost about a year and uh-huh. then um yeah, you do need a long time span to oh, yeah, really record totally. something that would make an impact on people from, you know, the purpose of doing that documentary. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's 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 hard work on you guys, but then it benefits everybody, you yes, know. Yeah, yes. it, yeah, I know about those kind of things. It really, yeah, I do worry about the glaciers, you know, oh, with, yes. with global warming. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's so, something uh-huh. um, I also want to... Um, address to everybody uh, that is listening to this is also, um, I know the pandemic with the COVID-19 is very scary, but at least it's from the same family as SARS. They both belong to the coronavirus family. Mm. So from the scientist friends I have um, working at United Nations, and and they're just climate scientists that I've met through acquaintances and stuff. Um, I knew this for a while now, but ever since the glaciers have been melting, there has been at least 28 unknown viruses that's been exposed oh. <laughs> to uh, that we've never seen before in the last 15,000 years or longer. They, be, they can be dormant. They cannot be, you know, they can be harmful. We do not know. But the, at the rate the glaciers are melting, there's some ancient viruses that are coming back. So um, I think it's important for people to understand that if we do not protect this right now, uh, using the tech and design and um, awareness that we have, the future generation is going to be in big problem. Wow, just learning so much from Jan Chan about the environment. But we're going to hear more from her next week. So tune in 
to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Classic Shorts: Stories from Chinese History and Literature. Hello and welcome to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Today I'm going to read the poetry of a great Tang Dynasty poet, Liu Zhangqing. His poems were known for expressing political frustration, which I think is still relevant today. He also shows a great fondness for the Western Han Dynasty politician. Reformer and writer, Jia Yi. Jia was a critic of the Qing Dynasty and proposed many reforms to the Han Emperor, but since these went against the interests of those in power at the time, the emperor eventually exiled him to Changsha. Here is a poem that expresses Liu's feelings as an older man, as he remembers the great writer and reformer, Jia Yi. <laughs> New Year's only deepens my longing, adds to the lonely tears of an exile, who, growing old and still in harness, is left here by the homing spring. Monkeys come down from the mountains to haunt me. I bend like a willow when it rains on the river. I think of Jai, who taught here, and died here, and I wonder what my term shall be. Liu Tangqing also wrote another poem about his sentiments about Jiayi, while he was in Changsha. Here, where you spent your three years exile, to be mourned in Chu ten thousand years. Can I trace your footprint in the autumn grass, or only slanting sunlight through the bleak woods? If even Good Emperor One was cold-hearted, could you hope that the Dou River Shang would understand you? These desolate waters, these taciturn mountains. When you came, like me, so far away.
His thoughts about Jai also appear in this poem. An evening view of the city of Yozhou, after coming from Hanko to Parrot Island. A poem sent to my friend, Governor Yuan. No ripples in the river, no mist on the islands. Yet the landscape is blurred on my friend and Chu. Birds in the slanting sun cross Hanko, and the autumn sky mingles with Lake Dongting. From a bleak mountain wall, the cold tone of a bugle reminds me, moored by a ruined fort, that Jai's loyal plea to the House of Han banned him to Changsha to be in exile. a poem that the elderly Liu Changqing wrote. It's called On Leaving Guizhang Again to Xue and Liu. Dare I at my age accept my summons? Knowing of the world's ways only wine and song. Over the moon-edged river come wild geese from the Tartars. And the thinner the leaves along the Huai the wider the southern mountains. I ought to be glad to take my old bones back to the capital. But what am I good for in that world with my few white hairs? As bent and decrepit as you are, I am ashamed to thank you. When you caution me that I may encounter thunderbolts, those are some of the heartfelt poems of the Tang Dynasty poet Liu Changqing. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. You're listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. Since the first case of COVID-19 was discovered in Wuhan, China last December, the highly contagious disease has spread rapidly around the world. It has claimed at least 440,000 lives worldwide, and there are more than 8.2 million confirmed infections. In Taiwan, there are 446 cases, including seven fatalities. 
The good news is the island has gone two months without new cases of domestic origin. A new outbreak of COVID-19 in Beijing and a false alarm in the southern Taiwan city of Kaohsiung are renewing fears of a second wave. Fifteen students in Kaohsiung had reported respiratory symptoms, but they have since tested negative. But Beijing has confirmed 79 new cases of COVID-19 in just five days, all stemming from a cluster infection at the city's biggest market. As the world gets ready to ease lockdown restrictions, a new outbreak in Beijing has people thinking twice about leaving the safety of home. Beijing went 56 days without a new case of COVID-19 before this latest outbreak, the source of which can be traced back to the city's Xinfati market. Officials found traces of COVID-19 on cutting boards used to process salmon. Infectious disease pediatrician Huang Liming says it's possible that someone infected with COVID-19 entered the market and contaminated the salmon. He says the refrigerated conditions of the market are conducive to COVID-19's survival and spread. In such an environment, the coronavirus can survive at least five to seven days. Huang says the high foot traffic at the market makes it a prime location for an outbreak. He says people should be extra careful since salmon is not the only thing susceptible to harboring the virus. He says the virus can be found on any kind of fresh food. Beijing has since shut down the market and surrounding areas. Employees and nearby residents are getting tested as officials continue to track down the source of the outbreak. Leslie Liao, RTI News. Many sectors of Taiwan's economy have been hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic, especially culture and the arts. To boost the culture sector, the culture ministry will begin issuing arts stimulus vouchers starting in July. The COVID-19 pandemic has emptied out theaters and cinemas in Taiwan. But the easing of social distancing rules spells hope that the crowds will come back. To help these and other cultural venues get back on their feet, the culture ministry is set to start issuing vouchers on July 22nd with the goal of stimulating the arts. In all, the ministry will issue 2 million vouchers, each worth 20 U.S. dollars. These will be redeemable via a mobile app. Every Taiwanese citizen and every foreign spouse with an alien residence certificate is eligible for one of these vouchers. They can be used at exhibition halls, concert halls, bookstores and music stores, movie theaters, and for pre-purchased tickets to cultural and arts events. The ministry says it will have a separate budget for special vouchers aimed at senior citizens, children, and the disadvantaged, who might not have access to the mobile devices needed to redeem the ordinary vouchers. Vouchers of both types will be redeemable until the end of the year. Shirley Lin, RTI News. Taiwan's largest annual religious pilgrimage has been simplified this year due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Officials have taken steps to make sure disease prevention is a priority. But organizers are finding it hard to enforce the rules as the goddess of the sea passes through. The Mazu pilgrimage is a nine-day, eight-night religious procession that takes place every year. An idol of the sea goddess Mazu is transported on a palanquin from Zhenlan Temple in central Taiwan to Fengtian Temple in the south and back again. This year, organizers delayed and then streamlined the pilgrimage in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
One of the silver linings to the downsized festival is that Mazu is getting where she needs to go much faster. The procession arrived at its first stop three hours ahead of schedule. This tunnel, which is usually packed to the gills, took just three minutes to traverse. During the pilgrimage, people prostrate in front of Mazu's palanquin, receiving her blessings as she passes overhead. Organizers had prohibited that this year, but then they eased the rules to allow people to crawl under it during breaks. A few devout worshippers decided that wasn't enough. They made a break for it, diving under the palanquin before they could be stopped. This 80-year-old man is the father of former legislator Yan Qingbiao. He's a respected member of the community, so participants carry Mazu's palanquin over him. Despite the organizers' best efforts, prevention practices have slipped. Food is left uncovered and out in the open, while people crowd inside the Zhanghua County Government Building to rest. Fear of COVID-19 has seemingly been outmatched by local faith. Leslie Liao, RTI News. The sea goddess Mazu is deeply revered in Taiwan. Each year, statues of the goddess are carried at the head of grand pilgrimages that can stretch on for days and may attract tens of thousands of worshippers. After a delay due to COVID-19, the most famous pilgrimage of all, the Dajia Mazu pilgrimage, is now underway. Participants know ahead of time that they are in for a grueling multi-day trek. But the delay to this year's event has brought an added challenge, voting summer heat. In any other year, the Dajia Mazu pilgrimage would have been over with by now. The nine-day, eight-night religious event usually takes place in the cooler spring months. But COVID-19 means that this annual show of devotion to the sea goddess Mazu is only just underway. As the procession snakes through central and southern Taiwan, blisters and fatigue are normal. 33-degree temperatures, not so much. But as worshippers reached Xiluo in Yunlin County, they found themselves having to contend with all three. One father, making the journey with his young child, attached multiple fans to his child's stroller, hoping to ward off heat stroke. But at least these pilgrims have a fixed and easily walkable path. Another pilgrimage that's been delayed, the Baishatuan Mazu pilgrimage, is set to start in the even hotter month of July. And this pilgrimage, it's said, is divinely guided, meaning that pilgrims don't know what kind of rough terrain they'll be led over under the hot sun. This year especially, the procession will be a test of devotion. John Van Trieste, RTI News. This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. And before we end today's program, we have a story about politics. The ruling Democratic Progressive Party, or DPP, has recruited Vice Premier Chen Qimai to run for Kaohsiung mayor in a by-election scheduled for August 15. Former Kaohsiung mayor Han Guoyu, an opposition KMT member, was recalled in a vote that saw nearly 940,000 residents vote to remove him from office. A DPP official said on Tuesday the party has reached a consensus that Chen is the only person on the table. President Tsai Ing-wen, who is also the chairwoman of the DPP, called Chen the most suitable candidate and a formidable fighter. Rumor has it that Vice Premier Chen Qimai will step down on Wednesday to run for Kaohsiung mayor in a by-election. The veteran politician was defeated by his KMT rival Han Guoyu in the Kaohsiung mayor race in November 2018. 
Chen had won 45% of the vote. Chen's upcoming departure has prompted a flurry of speculation over his successor. Possible candidates include ever-popular Health Minister Chen Shizhong, Economics Minister Shen Rongjing, former Culture Minister Chen Lijun, and former DPP Chairman Zuo Rongtai. DPP lawmaker He Zhiwei said the Health and Economics Minister are both a good choice. After all, he said COVID-19 containment and boosting the economy are both a priority. And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist for Radio Taiwan International. I'm Paula Chow. See you next week. Bye-bye. All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. Somehow, the Beijing regime found a uh, loophole of the basic law. They find out Article 18 will allow them to do it for Hong Kong. They have experienced the last year's protests and would always want to find uh, a legal justification to put the demonstration down. Hello and welcome to this week's On the Line brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. China's National People's Congress, the rubber stamp parliament, passed the national security law of Hong Kong on May 28th. The Chinese central government passed the Hong Kong National Security Law to set up the legal framework to prevent and punish subversion, terrorism and separatism, and foreign interference. To find out more, we are joined today by Professor Yan Zhenshen, a researcher and professor of Institute of International Relations at National Zhengzhi University. <music> professor Yan, China's National People's Congress, the rubber stamp parliament of China, passed the National Security Law of Hong Kong on May 28th. Now, mm-hmm. the Chinese government knew in advance that it would anger the international community as well as the people of Hong Kong. Why do you think they still passed this law, Professor? Oh, first of all, I think they have left this law uh, to be enacted by Hong Kong since the uh, early part of this century. But over you know, more than a decade, uh, it just seems that this is impossible for Hong Kong's Lego to uh, pass it, uh, while Macau, the other you know special administrative region, already passed. So somehow uh, the Beijing regime found a uh, loophole of the basic law. Uh, instead of uh, insisting on Article 23, they find out Article 18 will allow them, you know, the National People's Congress to do it for Hong Kong. So in a way. Uh, they have experienced the last year's uh, you know, protests uh, and would always want to find uh, a legal justification to put them down, to put the demonstration down. Uh, some people would question, think authoritarian regime don't care about you know, legal justification. Uh, that's wrong. A lot of times you find 
authoritarian regime, even though with, uh, you know, total monopoly of forces, they would love to use law to justify their actions. So in this way, by passing this uh, national security law, they will be able to do it. But even though they they pass it, but uh, I think there is an insistence on in the future that this kind of law will be implemented only by Hong Kong uh, police. But to justify the action, there is a Mm -hmm. cost that they have to pay in a way that broken their promise that Hong Kong will remain autonomous for the next uh, 50 years after 1997. And Mm -hmm. it's only been 23 years right now. So in a Mm -hmm. way, one country, two systems formula does not exist. Do you agree, Professor Yen? Well, I agree with uh, uh, part of it, uh, because if we look at Hong Kong and before 1997, under the British colonial rule, Hong Kong does have a lot of uh, uh, freedom, but it's never a democracy. Uh, there's, there was no election at all, no uh, representation of people. Uh, but uh, it's a very free uh, society. You have freedom of speech. You have freedom of assembly. And what happened after 1997 is uh, Beijing allowed or, you know, under the agreement with the British government in 1984 that you would allow limited participation and then gradually expand somewhat in the uh, legislative council election. So you you see local election, you see uh, legislative council election, so you have some election now, but the liberal part of Hong Kong is uh, diminishing. So, uh, for example, the you know the freedom of speech and freedom of assembly, uh, while still um, much greater than in mainland China, but but has been curtailed. So I would call Hong Kong very much like uh, some of the African countries you know, moving toward a an elected democracy instead of a liberal democracy. So that's, uh, I think, Hong Kong people would like to see a liberal democracy. Means you, you have every part of, you know, it's a, a much thicker democracy uh, than the electoral democracy that is uh, very thin, only on uh, going through the process of certain election. But the election is not as meaningful as uh, a liberal democracy. So in other words, with the passage of the law, Professor Yen, would you agree that in the future, Hong Kong people will no longer enjoy freedom of speech and also freedom of assembly? Oh, uh, I think this remains to be seen because Hong Kong people have enjoyed the you know freedom of speech for a long time. But still, uh, there was... I think Beijing will give them a, you know, when you ask me about one country, two system, I think Hong Kong is still two system because the kind of uh, uh, freedom of speech will still be much greater than in China. For example, in China, uh, most of the websites have been blocked. But in Hong Kong, you can still access a uh, majority of the websites and you can still air grievances. But as long as you don't, you know, uh, engage in violent kind of speech, uh, we, we also call protest is also a, a form of speech. 
as long as you don't engage that, uh, I think it will be okay. So, uh, yes, it's been curtailed, but still better than men in China. Uh, and still, it's a one country, two system. You're listening to Underline, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong, and today I'm speaking with Professor Yan Chenshen, a researcher and professor of Institute of International Relations at National Zhengzhou University. In a very limited way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, perf- it, it might okay. It, it might be different from the, what Hong Kong people would like. But again, the one country, two system has always been, you know, a evolving thing, right? Uh, in 1997, uh, you know, there were uh, arrangements for great, you know, gradual expansion of legislative council, uh, you know, the, vote, the, the, the seats that are directly voted by people. And I think both sides are still uh, trying to find the best solution for a graduate one. But Hong Kong people uh, looking at Taiwan's democracy and looking at their unique status in Hong Kong as a special administrative region, I think has greater expectation for expanding democracy than Beijing. So that's, I think, the conflict started. So it's a, you know, a, a diff- view from different angles. Beijing felt that they already gave Hong Kong what they would like to have. But at the same time, Beijing would like to see Hong Kong uh, remain very integrated part of China. But this exerting of independence of separate, uh, separate, separate separation uh, from, Hong, from mainland China, I think this is hard for Beijing leadership to swallow. The passage of the law, according to you, Professor Yen, who do they want to show it to? Hong Kong or the U.S. or to Taiwan or the other parts of the international community? I think it's, it, it actually has very limited uh, uh, targeted audience. Uh, I think it's Hong Kong people. I think it's Hong Kong's young students who protest uh, against, uh, you know, uh, the Beijing's uh, position in a one country, two system, thinking that last year Beijing, you know, uh, Beijing was uh, also for Hong Kong government. Beijing was not happy with Hong Kong government, but Beijing toward the end really never intervened, you know, really didn't send troops inside. But now I think Beijing will want to like to see how whether Hong Kong government, uh, the special administration, uh, the administrative region government can it uh, with the law, you know, have legalized arrest of people and make uh, you know their uh, counter rebel or uprising efforts more justified. I think this is what Beijing would like to see. If they cannot do it, I think Beijing at the end will still uh, probably will send troops in. But so far, I think uh, Beijing is helping Hong Kong government to give them a tool to quell down the protests. If, and just, uh, yeah, just to see whether the government can do it or not. If, because in the past, just like I said, uh, Hong Kong government failed to pass such a law, not like the Macau government. Hong Kong government didn't have that legitimate 
reason to 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 uh, suppress uh, the protests. To suppress the protesters, if Beijing sends troops to Hong Kong, will there be a repeat of the Tiananmen Square incident? Well, I think so. But Beijing, I think right now, uh, people said Hong Kong is, uh, you know, the 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 the, the chicken uh, uh, that will lay the golden egg uh, for Beijing. But that was 1997. Uh, this is 2020. And they have other uh, competing or rising metropolis in China, Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen, Guangzhou. Uh, yes, they cannot replace Hong Kong, but the loss for China is uh, much smaller than in 1997. And in terms of sovereignty issue, this, I think, will be the core interest of Beijing, so they can never compromise on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's why they, they move on. Uh, and people uh, underestimate, I think, the determination of Beijing government to defend sovereignty uh, here. Some say they passed the law in order to, apart from the protests in Hong Kong, to avoid responsibility for the coronavirus outbreak and to consolidate Chinese President Xi Jinping's power after the COVID-19 loss. What do you think, mm-hmm. Professor Yan? Well, first of all, the COVID-19 uh, blame on mainland China uh, is a, a questionable thing because, yes, China has problem with uh, COVID-19, and yes, China may have concealed information, but uh, the big question is the two uh, close uh political, uh, the two countries close to China, like Vietnam or Taiwan, we have very limited cases, and we have uh, only single-digit deaths. Uh, each country has about three to 400 of uh, cases. And Vietnam has no one, right, mm. died from coronavirus. And Vietnam and Taiwan both are not friends of Beijing. I don't think Beijing will notify this, uh, the leaders of these two places saying, hey, uh, you need to do something. So, but why Taiwan and Vietnam react and respond in a much, uh, I think, effective way of dealing this? And other countries never learn anything from Taiwan and Vietnam. Uh, I, I, that's why I feel it, it, China can always point it out to Taiwan and Vietnam saying, hey, you know, those two countries, so close, so much interaction between the two, uh, between Taiwan uh, and mainland, and also between Vietnam and China. So why the case was so limited? So it's hard to blame China, I think, you know, based on this particular fact. But yes, you know, China did have problem of hiding. But at the end, it has more effectively dealt with the issue. So I don't think it's an effort just to divert uh, coronavirus now. I, I think China just don't want to, China don't, doesn't want to see, Beijing doesn't want to see that if the coronavirus kind of die down, you will have a resurgence of protests in Hong Kong. And this time, uh, they are ready with the legal instruments to fight against the protests. I think that's uh, 
basically what happened. And that was the first part of our interview with Professor Yan Zhengshen, a researcher and professor of Institute of International Relations at National Zhengzhi University. And that's it for this week's On the Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week again. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.